Um, of course, no, one of the most notable trends in the veterinary industry over the past several years has been the consolidation of independent veterinary practices with large corporations sort of, you know, sort of gobbling up the industry. So I, I would really love to hear your thoughts on the trend of consolidation and this, you know, corporatization of veterinary care. You bet. And, and David, one, one comment I'd make, um, we, DSG, is, it, we're big fans of veterinary ownership and practices. And we actually have a couple of corporate roll-ups within our organization. They are um, quality organizations that encourage partnership and retain veterinary ownership. And I just wanted to make the point that, um, you know, corporate consolidation is a hard trend. And I think that we all not only see it, but I think that we are getting used to the idea that it's, um, it's not going to slow down anytime soon. When the average practice owner is 61 years old, they've been wearing a white coat for 30 some odd years. And, you know, they've got an opportunity basically to consolidate some of the gains and the value of their practice and probably in many instances continue to work. So it is a hard trend and we're not critical of it. Uh, but we've um, certainly had to um, adjust to it in terms of group development at veterinary study groups. We, we estimate um, that we have lost since 2012 when we started measuring it, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 practices now that have included more than a thousand full-time equivalent veterinarians and probably close to a billion dollars in total veterinary practice revenue. If you look at the number of veterinarians that have gone from the independent practice side over to the corporate side. So it's a trend that we're very, very familiar with. And, um, you know, the, um, we, we, re we certainly don't um, make any judgments associated with it, except to acknowledge sure. that it's a hard trend and it will continue. Yeah, you know, one of the, one of the things, I mean, it, at, at Genius Vets, we, we certainly, um, you know, we, we'd like to, not, not against, there's some, there's, you know, not every corporate entity is, is the same. Um, we, we have some out there that we think are really practicing at a high level. They're running there and a lot of them are keeping that veterinary ownership in a practice and have some really interesting, there's almost as many business models for this as there are companies who are doing it. Um, but, uh, and so they're not, they're not, by no means are they all equal, but it's, it's a trend that we are watching, you know, and that we find somewhat disturbing and obviously coming from a place of, you know, having one of our, um, uh, founders be an independent practice owner that, Several of those organizations, large consolidators, have been kind of chasing and wanting, you know, making offers at. And so watching what's happening, and it's it's understandable. I thought a few weeks ago, though, when we um, I had on the show uh, Dr. John Tate, uh, treasurer at at, at VMG, uh, for those who are, are watching, brilliant, brilliant man, uh, honestly, and and nothing against you, Steve, or or myself or anything. I think he's probably the smartest person in the in the entire veterinary industry. Um, he's, he's an overachiever for sure. <laughs> He's brilliant. Um, but it was, it was very interesting to talk to this, to him about this concept because, um, you know, he was talking about, you know, alternative exit strategies and how certainly, you know, some of these large uh, corporate entities are bringing in these multiples that are, you know, very difficult, if not impossible for maybe in a, you know, a typical associate veterinarian to be able to match. But uh, looking at, at alternative structures and exit strategies that in a lot of cases um, can allow that transition to an associate vet and even end sure. up better um, in the long run for the exiting owner. And I think those are really interesting. Uh, in, in our conversations between you and I leading up to this, you had mentioned the transitions program uh, that BMG has. Could you tell us a little bit about, you know, what's the transitions program about? Sure. 
Yeah, it, you know, just comment on Dr. Tate developed a program in conjunction with some other clinical leaders, uh, veterinarian leaders here at veterinary um, study groups, and he entitled it Consolidation Counterpoint. And it wouldn't say that uh, practice owners should never sell to a corporate, but for those that were looking for ways to transition or practice to associates, there might be some creative ways you could structure a transaction that would enable you to do that, and maybe even in the long term uh, come out ahead financially. And um, you know, he listed 12 different ways you could transition or practice in that program. And um, you know, it was, um, if anything, it, it just provided the practice owner with alternative views of what they, they he or she might do. Um, the program that we developed, the uh, Transition Services Program, also features Dr. Tate and three other advisors, we call them. Uh, one is Terry O'Neill, who you had mentioned before. Another one is a gentleman by the name of Stephen Young that deals with uh, personal wealth management. And lastly, Tony Aaron, a uh, partner at Ice Miller Legal Firm in Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, that's developed a very successful veterinary vertical over the years. And he has a lot of expertise in the area of that medicine and uh, practice ownership. But between that, that group of four advisors, a VMG member would have access to any one of the four or all of the four to help them with uh, decisions related to transition. Uh, John Tate and Terry O'Neill uh, would uh, provide a, an opportunity for them to look at their operational readiness. Are they really ready to do this? And can provide some advice and some counsel as to uh, whether or not it's the best move to make at a, any particular time. Um, Stephen Young obviously would uh, work with wealth consideration, uh, tax management, investments. Uh, you know, are you gonna outlive your money? Are you really ready to do this financially? And then the legal side of it uh, might be, um, you know, an inspection of uh, sales contracts and, um, you know, an examination of some of the, uh, the uh, contracts or agreements that exist within the ownership currently of a, of a veterinary practice. So, it, it, you know, it's kind of a service that we developed, David, that addressed the hard trend of consolidation, uh, the hard trend of 61-year-olds looking for what's next. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a great service to offer our members. And, uh, you know, we... Uh, we would encourage them, of course, to use it if they thought they needed it. Just, uh, you know, right now, business is up, kind of across the board. I know all of our clients, they're up 40% to 100%. I mean, they're really booming right now. Um, there's also other market forces. A lot of consolidation is going on. A lot of practice owners have been stressed out by all that's gone on in 2020. And a lot seem to be considering selling their practices. But you've said that now might not be a good time to sell a veterinary practice. Can you, can you expand a bit on that? Yeah, and I think a couple of things right now, you know, I think we're definitely seeing a period of surge right now. And the question is, uh, oftentimes in the past, if you look at the past performance of this profession where we've had periods of surge in economic activity, typically we've had some retraction after that and a quieter period. And uh, I hate to be the, you know, the bearer of potentially a negative message, but I think we should just, you know, uh, exercise some caution that we may not see this surge just continue to last. And that with a potential second wave in the pandemic and colder weather coming in a lot of places and so on as well, it'll send people and their pets and companion animals back indoors. And we may uh, be seeing a period of greater quiescence as we get a little bit further uh, into the fall. As far as transitions and so on are concerned, you know, when you look at the analytics behind a practice valuation, no matter who's looking at it, an evaluator like myself or a consolidator or what have you, I mean, we do take the long view, I call it, looking back historically over the last three to four years, 
uh, financial performance and a number of risk metrics and so on as well on a typically weighted average basis. So kind of what you've done for me lately counts for the most. When you look at lately, now being six months into this pandemic period, uh, depending on the performance of the practice, you know, if they've had any kind of a dip and so on as well, uh, over time that will become normalized out or counted as largely a non-recurring event. But if somebody's looking at selling as an end date to the end of June or July this year, and they have had some kind of a slump during the second quarter, uh, we're going to have to look at that as evaluators. It introduces risk, it introduces less profitability and so on. But even having a quarter or two where they start to climb out of that and then experience this surge and return more to normal, in essence, creating what I would call a letter V in their tracking practice value looking back over the last three years, that can be largely normalized out or discounted. The same way in an evaluation, we would discount a transient or a non-recurring event such as the absence of a, of a principal veterinarian, say for a healthcare issue, or sometimes a prolonged maternity leave or the building caught on fire or something like that. So I think timing is everything, uh, not only in the calculation of practice value, but the amount of what I would call a risk shift that we would see. If there's potential volatility and uncertainty in a practice's performance, and that may include what happens after a surge period is over, what some of the offers may include looking at an end date in 2020 here is what I would call risk shifts, which would be basically performance metrics down the road or commitments on the part of outgoing owners right now that in another time they may not have to make. And they may include a certain return to revenue over a sustained period of time or a certain EBITDA or profitability or an ongoing commitment on the part of a practice owner who may want to leave to have to stay on for a period of time, generate a certain amount of revenue, et cetera, themselves if the revenue concentration falls back mainly to them, meaning they're generating a lot of the revenue in the practice. Uh, we may see uh, joint ventures that cause practice owners to uh, lose a lot of control and so on as well and earnouts and models where the ultimate price paid for a practice depends on what happens in the future. All those are risk shifts and commitments back to an outgoing practice owner that we didn't largely see before all this hit. And I don't think we'll see again down the road when we have more longer term um, stability. Really interesting to, to look at it from the, the concept of, you know, how a short term dip um, that was caused, for instance, at the beginning of COVID this year um, would potentially negatively impact the current valuation. You have to take that into consideration as evaluator. Um, you have to take that into consideration, not just the number, but also the multiple of earnings, what you hear as the multiple, which is a technique to present value current profit into one figure in today's dollars. That If there's risk introduced there, that multiple too is going to see some deflation. Okay. What about the, the converse of the bounce that's happening right now? Like as people came out and business is booming right now, um, doesn't that, you know, I, I, if, you, if you wait for that to normalize and to kind of, you know, steady out and say, okay, well, it's normalized and we ended up net up a little bit because we took on more new clients or, hey, you know, it, it readjusts, went back down. Obviously, that normalization is going to carry with it some risk because you, you don't know exactly where it's going to land. Mm -hmm. um, but doesn't the, the current surge up, um, at least in the short term, uh, potentially push for higher value now? 
It does. And I think the key is not to look at it over too short a term. So I want to see if I go back to the analogy of that letter V in tracking practice values over time, uh, what I want to see is when that surge period ends, then where does it go? Doesn't it look like an electrocardiogram rhythm where it drops way back down again or something like that? Or does it just decrease slightly to normalize out at a comparable uh, client throughput and practice performance that we might have seen um, be before this hits as well. So no question that the bounce helps show that we are a recession resistant profession. We are a prioritized discretionary expenditure on this part of, part of our clients, all good things, but we do need um, a little bit of an arc of time, even in the most recent year, um, to really get an idea of, of the longevity of this surge and its true impact. So obviously just uh, right now in the short term, because of all this, there's a ton of volatility that would is obviously mucking up the, the valuation calculations, um, having you, Correct. causing you to have to look at it maybe a few different tea leaves than you would normally look at, <laughs> but. Yeah, absolutely. So, so purchasers hedge their purchase offers, right? A little bit on risk. You have to remember volatility also includes a surge. Right. So uh, one other question here, I, I want to talk a little bit about this, the concept of the tactical exit scenarios. I think this is really fascinating here because I know a lot of practice owners have spent decades building up their business and getting it to the point where it has significant value. They often see selling to a large corporate entity as their only path, right? Because they mm -hmm. figure the, the kind of conventional wisdom, if you will, is things far too valuable for an associate bet to, to be able to fund and, and buy it. They, you know, it seems not make sense. But you've indicated that really isn't true. And I know you advocate for some creative and compelling tactical exit scenarios. You know, could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. And I think, well, traditionally, I mean, if you wind the clock back 30 or 40 years or back even into the 70s, I mean, so much of practice transitions was based on rules of thumb. What a practice grossed in a year or two times its net or so on, or what the guy down the road got or what I need for my retirement. Those days are long gone and they kind of got replaced by really one of two options. One would be selling to an associate or, or perhaps another practitioner and so on as well versus the whole corporate consolidator model. No question because of the scale that they can achieve and the cost of capital that they have being cheaper. In other words, they're not borrowing money from a bank where they have interest payments every month and so on that limits the amount that a conventional valuation would arrive at or that a conventional purchaser can pay. And one of the highlights of our transitions program as well is to look at, okay, what potential models might there be to say bridge a consolidator offer with a traditional one where associates want the practice and perhaps the practice owner or owners would like to see it transition to an associate, maintain that kind of culture that they have developed and so on as well. So some of the strategies of which you can combine too um, may include um, tactics such as uh, an outgoing owner, maybe not divesting themselves completely, but divesting themselves from an active role where they could perhaps have some passive ownership or a different series of non-voting shares for a while, collect a dividend and then they leave. There is ways that purchase prices or purchase amounts coming across from a buy-in, an associate or associates buying in can actually be converted to pre-tax dollars. So we'll see models where outgoing owners maybe are paid out for a while as a consultant 
or if they own the real estate, they'll receive maybe an inflated amount of rent for a period of time. But really what's buried in there is part of the purchase price as well. For very large organizations, employee stock ownership plans um, are options too. We'll also see several where smaller practices in particular may look to ladder their exit by changing their own scale. So what they'll do is maybe a full scale merger first. So the exit option becomes not just sell what I have and get what I can, it becomes let's join uh, with other practices in the area or not even in the area. They might do a roll up or a uniform commitment um, to exit at the, uh, at the same time as well. You know, sometimes rather than actively exit, um, practice owners will leave it as an estate issue um, that they might leave too or other things Sometimes when there is real estate involved, we might see an early purchase option on the real estate too. So, you know, when you add them all up, there's probably a good 10 to 12 exit tactics unique for each situation. I mean, I've had cases where we've had bridges and the bridge I, I term, term the difference between a consolidator offer and a conventional offer from an associate, then maybe several million dollars in difference. And the key is not what the difference is, but what the difference is after tax is applied. That's the real difference. Yeah. Um, so often that number comes down when uh, you tax effect to different offers and so on as well. So there are numbers, I mean, earnouts and so on is another one kind of pops into my mind too. Uh, but the truth is in some cases where you get a consolidator that really wants a practice or a group of practices, and they distance themselves considerably from what a conventional valuation or bank or debt financed offer shows. Um, they become very difficult to bridge. They cannot all be bridged. So there's no guarantee here that some of these exit talk tactics will allow an outgoing owner or owners to transition to associates and still walk away um, with the same amount at the end of the day. But to me, I always try and educate my audiences. It's not about sale price. Um, it's about wealth accumulation over time. And as a financial planner, when you get them to think about that a little bit differently, and they're willing to take some calculated risk um, in reinvesting in the practice or waiting, uh, many cases, and during the lecture, I illustrated a few where their wealth accumulation over a reasonable period of time, this isn't like 10 or 15 years, but three to five years, actually with a reasonable amount to bridge, actually puts them in a better position than taking the higher consolidator offer upfront. Not all, but certainly in some cases, definitely um, there are uh, multiple ways to go when you factor in um, time in particular um, with an exit strategy. That's, I mean, really a lot of fascinating different paths there to, to explore. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would. Low level of awareness though. Very low level of awareness, I think. Um, certainly, you know, it's, it's not going to be flagged by the purchasers. Hey, you can do this and sell the practice to somebody else. But, um, and I think that's one of the commitments we made in the transitions program too, is to create some awareness around, around models. Man, talk about it. Talk about your next book right there. I mean, that's an instant uh, bestseller. <laughs> Here's all yeah, of well, I don't know about that, but different creative ways that you could exit. And you know, having spoken to so many practice owners for so long, um, I know that they're generally most practice owners have a heart for not wanting to to sell out to the biggest corporate you know entity that can throw throw you know the most money uh, to them. But they they really care for what they've built. You know, it's their baby. They they built it. They care for the staff. They care for the clients. For sure. 
you really want to and so being able to transition it i think is where where the majority the vast majority of their hearts would be in their desire so to be able to have a plan that actually puts them in a comparable or even possibly not always but possibly better position uh through that approach i think would just be be fascinating so um yeah that's that's incredible i, I really do think you should you, you got to put that out <laughs> great book um, i'll get you to help me <laughs> absolutely i'll do it i'll, I'll genius I'll, that's I'll, on board up to the top of amazon i'll have you a number one on amazon in like two weeks <laughs> um, done it before we'll do it again uh you know we may have some practice potentially people could also i assume reach out to you through john tate veterinary consulting are you taking on clients yeah absolutely i, I enjoy working with uh anybody and certainly uh you know the bmg members as well uh, what's your website for the consulting business it's just simply www.tatevet.com Simple and easy. Vet.com? TateVet.com, yes. Awesome.